Good evening or good morning when our listeners are listening to this. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is Tim Crumley with the Common Sense Mental Health Podcast. I am here with Emma Cranston and Carlos Merced. And here is a quick little intro about our practice. So Common Sense Mental Health is a, it's, it's basically the overhead for a group of private providers, uh, licensed mental health counselors, social workers, uh, and we operate within our own practices and we provide uh, teletherapy throughout New York State. We also provide in-person therapy as well within the capital region. And all of our providers are competent in teletherapy. Uh, we specialize in video, phone, as well as text-based services. And some of our providers have their own practice that work with Common Sense and in those practices, they may be overseeing uh, interns or um, sort of pre-licensed providers who are under limited permits uh, or something along those lines. Uh, but that is Common Sense Mental Health in a nutshell. Um, any questions, you're always welcome to reach out and ask, and we will be happy to answer. Okay, welcome back. So today we're going to actually kind of uh, branch off of our topic from last week. Last week we focused on COVID-19 and how we're coping and navigating with the pandemic, uh, focused on some of our work with clients, but also how we as providers are navigating and coping ourselves. So we're going to kind of branch off of that and talk about sort of broader collective trauma and specifically what our generation, when I say our generation, uh, what um, um, Millennials, if I can say the word, um, what <laughs> what, uh, what we're navigating specifically, and I think that's just because from Emma's point of view as well as mine, based on our ages. But I do want to be clear on a couple of things that uh, I, I want us to try to talk about this in terms of what people in general will be facing. I don't want to just only focus on, well, this is what 20-year-old somethings or 30-year-old somethings are going through. But that is going to be our perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So I think okay. we are going to be focusing on that. And we're going to be focusing on trauma that I think has played out within our lifetime. So we're going to talk about a few different examples um, over the last 20, 25 years, um, how that's impacted us, how that impacts our clients and kind of how we make sense of that and how we, how we talk about that now. Um, last quick thing though, before we start is there is going to be, I don't want to say like graphic content, but we're going to be talking about things that are of a traumatic nature. Um, so for those listening, if you know, you are not in a space or do not feel comfortable uh, diving into that at this point. This probably is not a good time to listen. Please feel free to come back to it. Um, I want to kind of give that warning and heads up that we will be talking about some pretty, you know, traumatic things that have happened um, and on a sort of on a more uh, massive scale. So um, any thoughts to add to that, Emma, Carlos? No, I think that's a really important kind of, I don't want to say disclaimer, disclaimer. but a really important note. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Agreed. All right, and then, oh, and that's a quick thing. I'm actually forgetting one of the most important parts. Uh, Monica, one of our other therapists, will be joining us in about 10 minutes. Um, she actually, this is kind of her wheelhouse. She uh, specializes in a few different things, which I'll let her introduce herself, but uh, she talks about collective trauma a lot with clients and um, sort of has her own viewpoints on it and has done research in this area. So um, she'll be joining us in a little bit to talk as well. I think she'll join us probably for most of the episode. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. So mm -hmm. I'm going to turn to you, Carlos, because you actually have some notes and some mm -hmm. things maybe to kind of kick us off. Yeah. I mean, I feel like um, our generation or just our country in a whole have gone through a lot of traumatic experiences in the past 20 years alone. Um, mm -hmm. So I have an extensive list here of various traumatic things that have happened to the country. Um, and we can kind of just like pick, you know, ones we want to talk about. Um, I have, uh, 
things that could be as serious as school shootings. I have the terrorist attacks, um, all of the, I guess the, they weren't really classified as pandemics, but we've dealt with a lot of health crises, crises um, in the past 20 years. So we can talk about plenty of those. Um, along with like some um, natural disasters and things like that. Mm. So um, I guess if you wanted to go like in chronological order, we could and or, you know. Well, how about we start kind of going off of that? Why don't we start when we talk about collective trauma? Right. Let's maybe talk about what comes to mind for each of us. Okay. If that makes sense. Yep. I think any of those things you just mentioned, um, again, depending on the person, depending on where they're living. I mean, there are people listening who will have had um, sort of more direct impacts from some of these things. Mm -hmm. Others who are navigating trauma just from having observed it, you know, or just having, you know. So, um, yeah, if that makes sense, we'll start with kind of mm -hmm. what it means to each of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll put Emma on the spot. We talk about collective trauma and even kind of thinking kind of in the terms that Carlos described. What, what does mm -hmm. come to mind for you? So I think of it as these shared experiences of a group of people. In this case, I'm thinking more like the United States. I know earlier, Tim, you were talking about, you know, us millennials. Um, but if I think of something like the big one that a lot of people jump right to, like the terrorist attacks, that, I mean, I was 10 years old when that happened, and it's still highly, like, I can go back to that time. I remember being in my fourth grade class, like all of that. Um, so collective trauma for me is these shared experiences of a group of people that were pivotal or mm. kind of stand out in their life, change their worldview in some way. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Anything you add to that, Carlos? No. Uh, I mean, that that's pretty much how I feel about it. It's definitely something that we've experienced as a whole, like I said, in the country that has definitely shifted the way we all act in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we were just forever changed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's no going back from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I think of. Yeah, I like how you just added that, Carlos, too. I mean, what you both just shared made sense. Um, but yeah, kind of how it, it does shift. I think it shifts us as a people and as a, as just as a, as a, as a whole uh, community, you know, mm -hmm. again, depending on what the event is. We're yeah. shaped by that and our behavior is impacted by that for, you know, years and decades to come. Um, mm -hmm. It impacts family systems, it impacts family dynamics. Um, and I think a lot of these things, too, when we talk about, and this is partly why I wanted to talk about this today, is we don't really think about this layer, right? We don't think about, right now we think about the pandemic because it's currently happening, but we don't yeah. think about the impact of these other things or even of just the news and the things that we hear about in the news, even if we're not directly impacted and how that right impacts our stress level, impacts our day-to-day, -day, how we carry that with us. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So I think it's something that's also not talked about either or it's not talked enough about. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 And I like that piece about how it impacts us because it impacts us in so many, like, even technically within our body, you know, the, like, the stress responses that our body will go through, um, and it really does impact our memory of this time, and, you know, like, as people get more stressed, their brain starts firing off, memory is impacted if they're really in that fight-or-flight kind of response, um, so it's, it's going to be interesting down the road, because there will be people who kind of had the shared experience of going through this pandemic, but... Everyone, I mean, of course, everyone's experience is going to be different anyway, but mm -hmm. there will be even legitimate things that have happened that may be documented and people will have different memories of, you know, the, the chronological order of it or who said what or who did what first and things like that. Um, I don't mean to cut you off, Emma, just to um, add Monica's, looks like she's joining us. So I'm going to add her to the call. Give me one second. Perfect. 
Let me uh, mute myself on here. Okay. There we go. I think that you're good. good. Am I? All right. Am I Everyone muted? Yeah. Cool. Hey. Hi. How's it going, wanna... guys? Good. Hi, friend. Do you, you want to introduce Monica? Sure, sure. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> uh, as I mentioned earlier, so Monica is one of our therapists. She is a licensed mental health counselor. Um, and uh, it kind of specializes and talks a lot about collective trauma, um, does a lot of this work with her clients. Uh, Monica, do you want to share a little bit about yourself and kind of just jump right on in? Sure. Um, so I've been a therapist for a few years. I work a lot with clients that have dealt with interpersonal trauma. Um, so it's it's a really valuable experience. You get to learn about, about people's resiliency and just being able to hear some of the stories and help people heal is a really amazing thing. I dig it. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And not to um, have cut you off, Emma. Emma was actually mid-sentence when you popped on, Monica. So I'm going to have us. I'm sorry. Uh, no, very, you're very, fine. Yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> um, Emma, if you want to go back to where you were. Uh, well, as per usual, um, all thought has immediately left my head. <laughs> um, That's fair. So I'm there's just so I'm sure I was done. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was pretty much done. Just like everyone's memory is going to be different of this whole experience. Very true. Perfect. That's right. That's Perfect. right. Yeah. So basically all we've talked about so far, Monica, is how we each view or what we think of when we think of collective trauma. If you want to mm-hmm. share um, your thoughts on what collective trauma yeah. means to you. Sure. Um, so collective trauma to me is a trauma that is experienced on a communal level. So outside of the family system and something larger than that. It can be something as, I don't want to say small because I don't want to minimize it, but uh, it can be something as a small community as a neighborhood fire or some of the fires that we're seeing out in California. It can be something as large as a global pandemic that's unearthing the fabric of our very society Uh, and anywhere in between. Um, It usually has a lot more of a shared experience and there's a lot more immediate communal support and what's unique with collective trauma is it's a lot harder to deny it, especially after the event is passed, mm. uh, than you can find in some cases with individual trauma. Mm. That makes sense. And I hadn't thought of that point before until you just said that in terms of, yeah, it's not, I can see where how someone copes with individual trauma. I mean, as many ways one can cope with such, but one way of that is trying to just shove it underneath you know it, it either did not happen or just trying to just have it completely shoved out when it comes to collective trauma you can't really do that right i remember i remember after 9 11 i mean they they were played mm-hmm. the towers over and over and over and over for months i mean probably for almost this may sound dramatic but it felt like it was like a year like a good like solid at least mm-hmm. six months they were replaying that. it could have been yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and of course in the pandemic right now we're seeing that we're, we're in it it's a very different kind of timeline and pace than 9 11 but um yeah, so that's a really great point. You can't really escape it. You can't, you can't repress it or shove it away in in all the ways. I mean, I think in some ways we probably still do, but yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting just seeing the aspect of, the de- of denial that some people are having right now. Mm. Um, you'll see this with the people that are still going about their daily lives as if there's nothing happening, um, and you know, going to their friend's wedding or this get together or that get together too um so there's i think is a little bit of a level with that but that might just be part of some folks process with it there's also a little bit of a grief reaction going on right now Mm. yeah Yeah. Yeah. i agree i i actually ventured out 
to the supermarket for the first time in a couple of weeks today. Um, just because I don't know if you guys have tried using those delivery services, but right now they're like overloaded and it's, you won't get your groceries for like a week. So I was like, no, oh, wow. I need to go and get some groceries. Um, and yeah, people were kind of respectful of the social distancing thing. Um, maybe 75% of the people were wearing masks. The other people that weren't wearing the masks were kind of the ones that weren't really respecting the social distancing. Um, and it was really weird. All of the workers, none of them had masks on. Mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. one cashier, but none of the workers like in the aisles had masks and they, they weren't moving. Like, so I don't, I don't, I don't get I don't know what it will take to get these people to understand what's going on right now. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any insight on that because like Monica said, it's people processing it differently, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah. maybe you guys can talk a little bit more on that. Yeah, totally. I think to a certain extent, kind of focusing on specifically on the workers, um, for a lot of them, it's necessity. And, uh, so I want to acknowledge I'm absolutely generalizing, I, you know, just that little disclaimer here. But for a lot of the people who are working, they need to be working and they don't have the the privilege of saying like, yeah, I'll just I'll just not to keep myself or my family safe. Um, they may not have masks available to them. I know there's all kinds of things going around about how to make your own mask and, you know, different feedbacks on how effective that even is and I, as for all of this, go check out the CDC. Mm -hmm. I have no information that's better than the CDC. You're not doctors. Um, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let it happen. Everything we talked about last week has changed this week, so. Right. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely yeah. check definitely. out the CDC. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <laughs> but it, it deserves repeating each time we talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I feel like to some, they may understand the severity there's just not anything else they can do. They're at work and required to do their work. Um, and I'm just thinking, granted, I have not been shopping now in almost a month. So I'm sure a ton has changed just from what I'm hearing. But when I was shopping last, there were a lot of crowds. I think there's, that's some areas, some stores are putting limitations on that now. But I noticed how long it took me to even actually shop while trying to maintain the social distancing, because it's like, oh, I want to go get this frozen broccoli, but this other person is getting frozen broccoli, so I'll just kind of stand this six feet away and, and just kind of wait while they're checking out the different brands of frozen broccoli, which I get you. Sometimes mm -hmm. I do the same. So, you know, like kind of having this whole practice of patience, which can really go against that survival instinct of like, gotta get in and gotta get out as fast as possible. Um, so I, I know I'm kind of like, veering off in a sense but something that i've been finding really helpful for me is to kind of essentially like looking at my privilege and challenging some of my reactions what makes perfect sense to me isn't necessarily doable to everyone else and may not even make sense to others yeah. tangent over <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful series of sentences <laughs> and you do raise a really good point um and I don't want to like project onto you guys, but I know that my family and my household, we are extremely lucky. Mm. Um, the county that we live in is, I mean, it's fairly affluent. It's not particularly hard hit. Um, we, my aunt like shipped us a couple of masks, masks a few weeks ago, and it's 
really amazing and incredibly grateful. But there's so many people that don't have that kind of opportunity. There's so many people that are dealing with uh, pre-existing conditions and health concerns and childcare. Oh my God, I can't even imagine that. There's people that are living alone in big cities where they're just kind of sitting in an apartment, probably not much bigger than their room. Um, I'm generalizing, but at the same time, it's really, it's a very effective exercise in recognizing how good you have it. Um, yeah, I think the, I think goodness every day that I can just go outside and go for a walk and there's not going to be a lot of people surrounded by woods. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is to say, I mean, as we're talking about all of this too, it's kind of highlighting the, one of the, one of the things, I mean, there's many unique things about this pandemic. Um, but one of the, I think, very unique things is the fact that it's because again, it is ongoing. It's it's not one event that's happened, right? So that's one piece Mm -hmm. of it, but because it's ongoing and it's requiring us to really change our behavior, you know, it's like other, again, other things we think of aside from those who were probably, you know, within that, particular moment or, or actually there wherever that that event was happening aside from that we were observing you know we were and again going back to privilege right we were had the privilege of not being in that place and time when that thing was happening and we were more yeah. so observing this is now a collective thing across the globe you know and it's like mm-hmm. and, you know and then right and there's that reaction carlos said well if you're not social distancing then what are you doing but there's reasons why some people may be able to do that some reasons why they may not be able to um so so yes yeah, so i think what we're talking about here kind of raises how that is how that's unique because um yeah it, it's it's causing us to kind of how should i put this um we're all players in this at this point if that makes sense it's mm-hmm. not again this isn't something that just happened and now we get to process it we're having to process it and kind of check our privilege and, and look at our perceptions and do all this work while we're still in it while it's happening mm-hmm. um i think something sorry no, good, something good. that was really impactful for me i'm totally going to tell on myself right here but my husband and i were sitting around being judgy in our apartment um and noticing that our neighbor had somebody who was coming over a lot um and there was like a kid around and we weren't obsessively watching. We're not that bored yet, but um, we just noticed that it seemed like there was this frequent get together. And there was one morning I was kind of like getting ready and I just happened. It was a beautiful day. We had the windows open and I heard the sister of my neighbor explaining how she was going into work and needed the child care. And I immediately felt all the reactions for just how awful I was being. Because it's like, oh, you're not social distancing. You're not supposed to be, if you don't live together, you shouldn't be there, da 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 um, And that's all valid and true. But for the single mom with, a, you know, the kid looked like five or six years old, not old enough to be home while she goes and does her shift at whatever, whether it's the doctor's mm-hmm. office, the grocery store, gas station, whatever, she still needs childcare. And can I really hate on her for not leaving her kid with her, with her sister for, however long this pandemic lasts. Mm-hmm. No, she wants to see her kid. She's still going to have to pick her kid up and drop her kid off every day. Um, so it's been a really impactful way for me to just start, again, like checking my privilege and thinking about all of these different perspectives that I have not had to even go through yet and, and have a lot of compassion for like that poor mom who has to go out being an essential worker, exposing herself every day and knowing that like, she could be exposing her child, who she obviously loves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you want to ask something, Monica? I didn't know if you were about to, like, jump in or not. I have, like, two different ways that I want to go with this. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> she's your an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one thing that I wanted to say is that the virus it has this really interesting effect in that 
on the one hand, it is this really great catalyst in observing like, okay, I have this kind of life and this is impacting me in this way and that way. And it can be a really amazing exercise in empathy at the same time. Um, as we've seen with like Boris Johnson, last time I looked at the news was in the ICU. Uh, Tom Hanks was sick with this. Um, let him be helped. Um, and all sorts of, uh, other celebrities and people that are fairly affluent, they are getting this not just as much, but they're still vulnerable to this, just like anybody else. It's simultaneously a way for us to really look at ourselves. It's also an equalizer in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. A scary one, a really scary one, too. Mm -hmm. Um, That, I think, is part of the fear also, because as shitty as the system is, there's a little bit of order to it. And Mm -hmm. so if we're seeing, like, the folks that, quote-unquote, shouldn't have bad stuff happen to them have bad stuff happen to them, it's like, oh, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. Can I swear? I just did. Oh yeah, you absolutely can. Yeah. <laughs> I think we swore in our last podcast. Right, a couple times. I, only, I actually only swore once. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was a big day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like how you also kept count. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I went into this, and my husband was like, "I'm like, you gotta not say the f word." And I was kind of like, <laughs> oh, "Okay, right, right. I'll practice that." And I don't. <laughs> Good for you. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's super unnerving. So, yeah. Um, do you guys have any thoughts? Because it makes second thing, you know, can go on forever. Well, just to go on, to just go off of that just for a moment. Um, cause I, I, I think that's a really good point that there's a sort of like equalizer component to the virus. Um, and I think in many ways we're seeing that in the way, like, especially like you just described when it comes to like world leaders or celebrities or, you know, people with large amounts of wealth. It's like, oh, this can impact yeah. anyone. At the same time, and, and we're seeing a lot more analysis coming out from this, I think just because more time has passed, we're getting more data, um, but uh, communities of color are being impacted by this way more. And I think there's a lot of different factors that play into that. Um, and and yeah, so, so we're seeing that kind of equalizer effect. And yet at the same time, we're seeing these same disparities that we see in other aspects of our society um, and at various other points, we're seeing it now with this virus too. Um, yeah. So this is another thing I just want to throw out there, um, just kind of add to that. I think I think both those things are true in some ways, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You what you wanted to add more, uh, Monica? I didn't, I didn't um, mean to cut you off. It was kind of a it was kind of a backtrack. Um, it was back to the masks, especially with folks that are you know frontline workers, grocery store workers, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in the grocery store that we normally go to in my neighborhood, it's a lot of young people. And mm. up until what last week, maybe the week before, times the blur, they were told like, "Hey, if you get this, you might have a sniffle or a cough, but that's probably going to be it." So there was a message for a relatively long period of time of like, "This isn't going to affect you, so just kind of do what you need." Yeah. Um, yeah. And that seems to have stuck with a lot of folks. Um, the ones that I, the grocery store workers that I've talked to, their perspectives have definitely changed. At least at the store I frequent. But it's still, it's it's taking a while to really hit. And I think part of that was the initial message. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's that, to add to that too. And I was thinking this earlier when we were talking about the privilege piece as well. Um, I think you're right about the messaging and kind of to flip that for a moment. So I think there's a lot of privilege in how we judge people and how they're navigating this. And then there's mm-hmm. also privilege at, at play, I think, in that sort of a way, right? There's, there's privilege for those of us who are younger, who received that message and then kind of feel like we're sort of like invincible, right? And even at 29, you know, there's still still elements of that. Um, So there's there's that piece. But then um, I actually, so what I was doing 
any day that it was nice out, my one thing, the one way I would go outside essentially was to go out for a jog. And I would do it by myself and away from other people. And I live in Delmar. And I can tell you that when we talk about social distancing, it is it seems to be the opposite issue where the privilege is allowing people to not social distance. And I have people, families, whole families in their sport jackets. I'm gonna be very stereotypical here for a moment. I'm just gonna go off the rails, you know, in their Under Armour, you know, sport jacket, you know, mom and dad, you know, power walking, you know, with their with their, with their little little tot. And um, they're walking down the sidewalk and I'm jogging and I'm, I've got myself all the way over to the curb, you know, and, and if they go all the way over to the one side and they do a single file, cause I plan this all out of my head as I'm getting closer to them. Um, if they were to do that, we would probably have about six feet and they're not doing that. They're just da 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 da. And several instances, I found myself in trying to make a point running into people's lawns, like halfway up their lawn, just like, and I'm still jogging, but just trying to like maintain that distance. And um, that's just pure, just ignorance. Like these are just people that are just like, and I think part of it, you know, and I think it goes back to what you're saying, Monica, is that, you know, these were, you know, also younger families and yeah, they're under the impression of, well, you know, well, this guy running towards me is younger, we're younger, we're good. You know, we don't have to worry yeah. about this. And um, that's very incorrect. But um, so just to add to that, like, it's just interesting, depending on the context, how these social dynamics are playing out in various different ways um, and allowing for some very poor decision making or leaving people in a position where they can't help but navigate it a certain way. It's, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah. To uh, go off on that, he comes home furious whenever that happens. <laughs> he'll walk in, he'll be fuming, and like he has to release the story immediately. And it's, so a it's, nice, it's, relaxing run, huh? Yeah, yeah. Sounds like it's a really good stress management tool. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Believe I could not believe this family I ran into. Yeah, I get, I get. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, but yeah. that that gets me irritated as well, just because it's just there's no self awareness there either, because like this happened before. Like mm. I grew up in New York City and I'm it's like this whole like people taking up the whole sidewalk thing. That's old news. Like no one would ever like be polite and like let you pass by smoothly. Like you would have to like find the best route well, or something. And here's the thing, and this is also what you're cause like for me it's like Again, I, I, I have various privileges living in Del Mar where I can figure out, I mean, I could run to my, my, my complex here if I wanted to or run, you know, wherever. I, I have clients in New York City right now who also want to go out for a jog and there should be some space for them to do that, but they're running into the same issue, but there's 10 times more people doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And right. now they're stuck and they're stuck in a, in a way and in, in living in an area where I think the trauma is just times 10, right? It's like a yeah. traumatic here, but it's way more so down there right now. Um, yeah. You know, like just beyond. So yeah, so that's, that's also kind of irritates me because like there's people who are really being impacted by that and other people who cannot, you know, they, they feel safe going to a state park because even though the state parks are open and they're free right now, um, mm -hmm. there are people who, you know, again, who are not going to make the right decision and they're going to get close and be nearby and um yeah so anyway so that that also i think probably adds to my my fuming but it does it really yeah. sets me off mm -hmm. you know? yeah great and part of what's um, important with all this is that we work together in order to help keep each other safe you know there's a little bit of that team building a little bit of that empathy almost that we're kind of relying on with this uh, I saw some memes today comparing this whole ordeal to like a group project, and a lot of us are working really, really hard. Oh, that's a great that dude who's like, yeah. I love it. It's great. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, it, yeah, as a, a group super nerd, it really makes me. Oh my god, it's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Give me flashbacks to high school I mean, <laughs> so, and college. So <laughs> oh, just, oh. just to go off of that, and just to kind of keep it to the larger topic here too. Um, 
Actually, do you want to pause it for a minute? Yeah, let's stop here for now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll pick up here next week. Uh, so, if we're going to end here now, Carlos, do you want to go through our providers who have open slots? Yeah, we'll go through that one more time, and we'll probably use this moving forward. Okay. So, everyone can know. Okay. I don't think we're hiring anyone new. No. So no. this this will be the same for a while. Okay. okay. Um. So we do have Ashley Whiteside, who is a uh, LMSW, and she is accepting new clients. She does take uh, CDPHP mm-hmm. and out of network benefits as well as self pay clients. She also runs a COVID um, support related group. support group on yes. Saturdays. Is it every Saturday? Or every- no, uh, it it's it's every other Saturday. Every other Saturday, okay. Well, wait, wait, actually, no, I apologize. It's every other week. It does vary. Um, so what I would say is anyone who's interested in joining the support group should just reach out. Um, it could be on Saturdays, but I don't want to speak for Ashley on that one. Yeah, and I'll I'll plug in my email at the end, and you can contact me directly if you're interested in Ashley's group. Um, yeah. Next up, we have Emma Cranston Blundell, who is a LMAC. That's right. Okay, and she is accepting uh, CDPHP and... Uh, that's it. That's it. Oh, um, that was very anticlimactic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have Kelly Benjamin, who is a... So he's an intern. He's a mental health counseling intern uh, under my license. Mm-hmm. Um, so he works for me. Um, I'm involved in his cases, and he has pretty extensive experience, though, as a substance use counselor. He has his case act. Um, he's a awesome therapist. Um, yeah. And yeah. he's also taking clients. He's and- taking clients. He can take clients at a reduced, uh, self-pay rate. And he also takes, um, CDPHP right now. He does. Luckily. Yep. He does. Um, all right. So next up we have Lisa McKenzie, who also works under Tim's personal practice. And yes. she is a mental health counselor. Yep. Yep, she has a degree. She's um, getting her hours. Um, but similar, though, she's worked in substance use for years. Right. And, um, yeah, again, fabulous therapist. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Next up, we have Susan Mackert, who is a... She's a, uh, licensed, cl- a licensed clinical social worker, if I can speak. So she is a LCSW. LCSW. <laughs> uh, she uh, takes CDPHP, um, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Northeast, and... Um, which I think is just Blue Cross of Northeast. Blue Cross of Northeast. I'm sorry. Like, or, no, it's Blue Shield of Northeast. It's one of the there's two. There's like five it, different Blue Crosses. Uh, there's, there's way more it's than so that. so annoying. But yes. Yep. Okay. Um, anyway, it's on our website. So <laughs> if we did say it wrong now, it's definitely accurate on the website. Um, next up is Paula Carsu, who is now accepting clients. She wasn't for a little bit, but now she is. That's and right. She's going to be uh, full-time, full-time in her own with practice. Yep. Uh, she's a licensed mental health counselor. Yep. And she will be taking clients as soon as, I think, the last week of April. That's right. Is when she's starting. Yep. All right. Um, next up is Carolyn. Oh, God. I don't know how to say her last name. But uh, it's uh, Carolyn Elacqua. Uh, Elacqua. I kind of want to you say, just like, say it confidently. Electra. No, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that, that is how you pronounce it. I'm sorry, Carolyn. Um, she is a LMSW. That's right. And she is taking clients. She is part-time. 
Um, then we have Kathleen Hoffman Hart, who is a LMSWR. No. Dang. That's not a thing. That does not exist. <laughs> she is an LCSWR. Okay. Um, yes, lots and lots of experience, and she specializes in EMDR. She um, is not currently offering EMDR due to us being tele-only during the mm -hmm. pandemic, but when she is offering in-person services again, she does offer EMDR, and she um, specializes with uh, first responders and uh, veterans. Yep. All right. Uh, next up is Monica Osterwitzki, who was at a full caseload recently, but is taking a couple new clients now, um, and she is a LMHC. That's right. And she, oh, I'm sorry, for Kathleen and Carolyn, they both take CDPHP, and Kathleen also takes um, Blue Cross Northeast. Yes, that's correct. All right. And then Monica takes CDPHP and Beacon. And Beacon and MVP. And MVP. Uh, next up is, uh, we have three new providers that recently joined us. We have Kara Bruder. Bruder. Uh, Bruder. Bruder. Who is a LMHC? Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, yep. KSAC. Um, CCTP. Yep. She's a She's a certified trauma. I'm not quite sure what the practitioner maybe. So, so, something <laughs> like that. But um, she has a special certification in trauma, um, and she actually also um works with uh, first responders and uh, veterans mm -hmm. as well as specializes in substance use disorders. Yeah, and she will be based in um. Well, she is based in Rochester. Rochester. She's in, I believe she's in Geneva, technically. Geneva, yes. Yeah. So, um, and I think she will be getting a physical space there sometime in the future. So anyone right. in Rochester who is looking for in-person services when this all gets better, yep. um, Hara yep. is, might be an option. Uh, then we have Jennifer Cottermone, who is a LMSW. It's what well, you're reading it off of the website right here. I know, talking. but I'm just. I'm I'm like, just why are you so unsure? I'm just. I don't know. I I feel like, like I you always, like you read it and then you looked at me and you were like. I always say their credentials wrong, so I just want to make sure. Even if it's right in front of me, I will say it wrong. <laughs> um, anyway, she takes CDPHP. Uh, she does not. She she oh, she's, wait, she's no. only self pay. Right, yep. she's only self pay. Um. Which you can always make that mistake. For some reason, you really want Jennifer to take CDPHP. Like, because you very much want her because to. Because before, it was none of our social workers were taking CDPHP. And now some of them now do. Now some of them do. Yeah, and so we thought all of them would. And it, it gets confusing. Thank you. I hear you on that. Okay. I hear you on that. Uh, and then last up, we have um, Akia Twam, who is, I don't know her credentials. So she is a MHC as well. She's actually also in my private practice. Oh, right, yes. Um, so she works under my license. And she's actually downstate, No, right? she's here. She's, she's in, here? She's in Albany. Yep. Okay. Yep. I thought she was in New York City. No. Okay. No, we have no providers downstate, unfortunately. Although, at some point, I would like to have providers downstate, but we do not have any at this time. Um, right. We can work with clients who are downstate because we're tele. Um but yeah, she is self-paid and she is under, uh, under my practice as well. Yeah, um, she is not on our website right now. So if you are interested in um, her, you can reach out to me directly. Uh, my email address is intake at common sense, uh, M as in mental, H as in health.com. And my direct line as well is 518-350-7374. Um, yeah, reach out if you are interested in services and I can help you. Awesome. Thank you, Carlos. No problem. 
All right. So I will, we will wrap up uh, for today. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll pick up on this next week. Bye.